Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for today, Father. We thank you so much for this morning, God. We thank you so much for the opportunity just to be able to worship you, God. And we thank you so much, Lord, just for our team, um, our worship team, God, that, that every single week, Lord, put so much time into thinking about the songs that we sing every morning, God, that it's not just by random, but God, that all of it's so intentional. And Lord, we thank you so much just for their hearts, I mean, the way that they serve so selflessly, God, and just wanting to lead your people as we worship you, Lord, because you are worthy of our worship. God, we sing, Lord, of how beautiful your name is. God, we sing of how, how great you are and the goodness that you have shown to all of us, God, and we thank you so much for that, God, and in your goodness, and Lord, what makes your name so beautiful is, Lord, because of how good you are to us in spite of our sin. Lord, that every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, that every single one of us has our sin before us every single day, God. And that's just, Lord, as we come to pray together this morning, that's just what I want to do is just, Lord, just think about our sin. Lord, bring our sin before you. God, as it says in Psalm 51, 1 through 12, have mercy on me, O God. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast not away me from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. God, I pray that, Lord, as we seek out your goodness, as we seek out, Lord, how beautiful you are, God, that it's always with us bringing our sin to you. God, knowing that you do forgive us. God, knowing that you do love us. Lord, loving us so much, Lord, that you sent your son. And, Lord, as we think about in Mark chapter 2, Lord, in verse 16, where it says, When the scribes who, um, who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners— and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. God, we thank you so much this morning, God, that you came, Lord, to die for sinners. Lord, that you came to bring those who are far away back closer to you. And Lord, I just pray that you will help us just to rest in that this morning. That as we think about the gospel, Lord, we have to acknowledge our sin, Lord, that we can bring it before you, God, knowing that you do forgive. And so, Lord, I just pray that just as we do that this morning, as we get ready to hear your word, God, that we just come before you, Lord, with a pure heart. God, that we come before you, Lord, acknowledging and bringing our sin to you, confessing it to you, repenting of it to you. Lord, knowing that we can find forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just be with Jason this morning as he brings the word, God, that you would, Lord, anoint him, Lord, that you would give him the words to speak, Lord, that it would be words that all of us need to hear. And, Lord, we just pray that you would receive the glory for all of it. So, Lord, it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, kids, if you are a kid, you should know who you are. 
ages are up there on the screen, you are more than welcome to go upstairs for some teaching that is age-appropriate. Yay! All right. Um, this morning we have a, a couple of announcements. Um, first of all, uh, in years past we have sponsored families from Doug Gap Elementary, uh, the elementary school literally closest to us here, a stone's throw away, as it were. And uh, there are some needy families in, in that school. And so every year we, uh, we coordinate with the teachers over there and we find uh, the families most in need and we just bless them with some Christmas gifts, etc. And so if you want to be involved with that, uh, it is a great thing. And there is a sign-up sheet for that at the welcome desk uh, right in front of the big TV right there in the welcome center. We will uh, aim to deliver the gifts uh, sometime between the week of December 13th through the 17th. Um, and so make sure you sign up so that we can uh, sign up early if you want to be involved so we know how many families we can serve at that, at that school, okay? Um, also, our Thanksgiving dinner is coming up, and we need servers, and so uh, specifically youth is what we're looking for, so let AJ know if you would like to be involved with serving for our Thanksgiving dinner. Um, also, uh, for our Thanksgiving service, which is next week, right? Yeah, my, I've got a newborn at the house, so my calendar is just, I threw it out for the rest of the year. Um, next week is our Thanksgiving service. It'll be a little bit different um, than, than what you're used to, because instead of uh, me or AJ or Tim st standing up here or an elder uh, preaching, we're going to hand you the mic. And uh, we'll have one podium mic up here, a little piece of tape that you can stand on. And so be praying over and thinking now uh, of the ways in which God has been faithful to you. Thank you so much, Mason. I appreciate it. Uh, we were praying over here, and I was like, I'm dying. Please give me some water. You're the man. Thank you. Be praying over the ways that, and, and asking God to remind you of the ways that he has been faithful to you. And so as we enter into Thanksgiving next Sunday, come prepared and come ready to hear what other people uh, are thankful for in their lives, in this church, how God has been faithful to them. And, uh, and ask the Lord if there is something uh, that he is laying on your heart uh, that you need to share with us. Uh, because it's, it's testimony time, y'all. And that's a, it's a fun service, one of my favorite of the year. Um, as far as the Christmas season is concerned, we're going to do uh, two kind of special new things. And I don't even have slides for these yet. Um, but what I would like to do, last year, a small group of us uh, from a life group decided spur of the moment, literally it was a text chain in the 11th hour, hey, let's go find some people and do some Christmas caroling. And it was the best. It was so, so fun. So here's what we need. We need you to sign up either to be a singer or to be a receiver of Christmas carols, okay? I've got two different sign-up sheets at the welcome desk. Uh, we need people to sing, to, to, to be sung to, and we need some singers as well. And so I would like to get nice big groups, and then we'll divide you up and give you uh, some, some assignments, uh, not to overwhelm any one person with 50 people, right? Like, so we want smaller groups, and I'll try to even give you an instrumentalist to help you out so that everybody is all together. And it'll be three, four, or five songs, uh, very simple Christmas carols. And, uh, and it's, it's a, it was a huge blessing to the people who we got to sing to, but it was a really big blessing to us who were able to go and sing. So sign up for that at the welcome desk or email me, text me, however you want to get my attention is good for that. Um, also, uh, 
a while ago, we did a hymn sing here in the sanctuary, and we had about 50 people here, and it was a great time. I actually wasn't able to be here that night, but I received so many video text messages from the people who were here saying, this is awesome. And we had a bunch of people here. Now, what we would like to do for Christmas is kind of the same thing, but with Christmas carols and bluegrass. And so if you want to be involved in a bluegrass Christmas carol hymn sing sing-along thing, I've got to come up with a better name, but it's a mouthful, I know. I'm working on it. It's a workshop idea. Uh, that's going to be on the 19th, and so we'll meet at 6 o'clock on the, ni- the Sunday night, the 19th, and, uh, and sing some Christmas carols. So make plans to be here with us. Cool? That's over with. Okay. All right. So today, if you want to turn to uh, Luke chapter 14, that's where we will be this morning. I also have all the scripture up on the screen so you're not lost. And uh, I wanted to to start with a story of a friend of mine. Uh, The very first church where I was on staff as a pastor of this church was in Prattville, Alabama. And uh, one of the other pastors there was, his name was Brother Joe. That's what we all called him, Brother Joe. And uh, he was, he was a little crazy. Um, he, he was a Marine, and uh, you never retire from being a Marine, right? So he was a Marine. Um, he was an older guy, but he was a Marine. And uh, he had also spent some time on the police force. And uh, just to give you an idea of, like, the particular type of crazy that he was, um, there was a, a stretch of time where they had a private school at the church where I was serving, uh, but the city wouldn't change the speed limit, and so people were flying past the road where kids were trying to, you know, come in and everything. They felt like it was a little bit unsafe because it was, it was a road where people tended to speed. And so Brother Joe was not in the police force at the time, but decided to take matters into his own hands. And so he parked his car on the side of the road, opened up the passenger door, and then stood there. And when a car would come by, he'd raise his hairdryer up. And he said his favorite part was watching their headlights dip as they hit the brakes, you know? So it was a particular type of crazy. Um, He had a rough past. In fact, he struggled a lot with alcoholism uh, early on in his life. And I mean early on in his life. He told me that his first taste of alcohol was at three years old. His father gave him a sip out of his bottle. And, uh, and, and it was one of those things that what the world intended for evil, God meant it for good. Because this is a crazy story I'm about to tell you, but I actually believe it. I don't, I've never known Brother Joe to lie, okay? You're just going to have to take my word for it. But when he was on the police force, his favorite strategy on a hot Alabama summer day was to roll down the window of his patrol car and just drive around town. And as he was driving around town, if someone was drinking and driving and also had their window down, he claimed that he could smell the alcohol from his patrol car. So he would then tail this person and find just a small traffic infraction that he could pull them over for. A lot of times it was waiting for them to cross over a line. And then he'd pull them over, and then he'd get closer, get a better whiff, and actually arrested a number of people and got a lot of drunk drivers off of the, off of the streets of Prattville, Alabama, during his time as a police officer. He said that his 
that the, there is a special technique to closing a cell door. He said it latches just fine if you pull it gently, but in his life, the thing that made the most difference was hearing it slam. So he always made sure to slam the cell door when he got somebody for a DUI. Now, this is a, this is a good story. This is, this is somebody trailing people who are legitimately in the wrong. But as I, was, as I was reading and studying this passage of Scripture, that same kind of attitude of a, a sleuthy, like, just, just let me find something small, something wrong going on here so that I can find a bigger wrong. It was the same attitude as people approaching Jesus in Luke chapter 14. And so that, was, it, that story popped into my mind, and I wanted to share it with you. Let's start uh, today when we're reading the scripture. I'm going to go, uh, a lot of times we, we read a big chunk of scripture, and then we go back. At, I've got a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to talk about the most awkward dinner party ever. Um, Jesus is not a decent dinner guest at this, uh, at this um, dinner party. Because what happened was these Pharisees, you'll see these Pharisees who are the religious leaders of the time, um, they were trying to trail Jesus and find him crossing a line. And they were going to try and trick him and trap him at this dinner party. So that's the context of Luke chapter 14. So let's read in verse 1. We'll go a couple verses and then I'll stop. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, like Brother Dro trailing a potential person with a DUI. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Okay, so this is the Sabbath. This is the holy day. This is the day that God set forth as the day of rest. It was intended to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. It was intended to be a blessing to us. We are not supposed to work 24-7, seven days a week. We are designed to be limited. We are designed to know our limits and to rest. And so it was intended as a blessing. What the religious leader had done was added a bunch of other rules in order to take that blessing and turn it into a burden for the nation of Israel. And this was one of their favorite ways to trap people is with the Sabbath. And the reason I say that is because this is the fourth time in the book of Luke that they've tried this with Jesus. The fourth time. And it must have worked on other people. This was one of the ways that they were keeping the thumb on the people, keeping control and keeping power over people is by using the guilt of people breaking the Sabbath against them. And so this is absolutely a setup. This man who has dropsy, uh, the implication is that he's swelling, right? And if you look up Google images for dropsy, I thought about throwing some up. I decided against it. A lot of times, it's like swelling of your legs, but it could just be swelling anywhere. So the implication, because he is being invited to an exclusive party of the most important people, this would be like being invited to a political dinner, right? And, and this man is there who shouldn't be there. He is swelling, which is an indication of organ failure. The Pharisees are willing to risk this man dying at their dinner party 
in order to try to trick and capture Jesus breaking their laws. Okay? So it's a setup. This man is a plant, and he is terminally ill. Let's read what happens in verse 3. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Silences are uncomfortable, aren't they? (laughs) We're going to have a number of instances where the Pharisees have nothing to say and they remain silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. So the question that Jesus asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They were trapped because if they answered yes, the Pharisees showed their hypocrisy and their passion for obeying their own overly strict rules that had turned the Sabbath from a blessing into a burden. And if they said no, they came across as inhumane and uncaring uncaring about human suffering. You see, it was really easy to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, but it was another thing entirely to take responsibility for denying the recovery of a man in need. And so that is why they remained silent. And in the awkward silence of that moment, I'm going to tell you the main point of this dinner party. And that is that Jesus accepts invitations. Jesus was invited to this dinner party. And in the same way, he will accept an invitation into our lives, into our worlds, into our homes, into our work. He will accept invitations. But he will not change. When Jesus shows up, you get Jesus. Not your expectation of who Jesus should be or could be or would be. You get Jesus. And so it is a, a, a humbling thing. You are recognized, when you invite Jesus into your life and into a place in your heart or in, into your family, you are, you are inviting him as Jesus. And when he comes, he destroys challenges to his authority. And so what Jesus says next is an answer to the assumed answer that the Pharisees had. They wanted so badly to say, no, it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that we can get you, right? And here's what they say. Oh, yes, there's, there it is. So Jesus, here's an overview of part one. Jesus accepts invitations. Jesus doesn't change his nature to fit our expectations. He destroys his challenges to his authority. And Jesus' kingdom is upside down. That's another major theme of this passage. What is high, he will make low. And what is lowly, he will bring high. So Jesus' answer, verse five, he said to them, which of you, having a son Or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, they will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. You see, their own laws allowed them to rescue animals on the Sabbath. But they didn't 
and, and to, to uh, not rescue a person would, would be treating animals better than people. It's like the same thing that's a little bit messed up in our culture today when a dog dies on a TV show, right? Like that really upsets us, right? But we kind of like the superhero movies where the guy comes in and just like obliterates everybody, right? Like this, this representative, representations of human life, right? But then old yeller, and there's not an, wait a minute, there's, there should be more value placed on the human life. And so Jesus is exposing this. Okay, so that was part one of healing a man on the Sabbath. That's the first section of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. And so there's this awkward silence, and he says this, and asks this question, who would pull him out? And there's another awkward silence. And in the silence, they start shuffling and elbowing each other and moving into position and just let's get on with the dinner and finding their places to sit, to eat. Now, let me warn you, the next section of scripture is kind of hard to interpret because if you read it really quickly, it comes across as Jesus's version of how to win friends and influence people right? It just, it kind of comes across as good advice. And this is where we see the first hint of Jesus's upside down kingdom, where he is explaining to the Pharisees that the kingdom of heaven doesn't work like, like the kingdom that you assume, right? And so Jesus is watching and waiting for an answer. They feel so awkward. They maybe start doing some small talk and they jockey for their seats and they play this, play this silent politic game of trying to find an honored seat at this table. And so, so don't assume that Jesus is just about to give good advice. We, we, good advice. We need to take the principles that Jesus are saying and apply it to our lives, just not, our, not in addition to applying it to our dinner tables. And so what the Pharisees want, as we read this, I'm going to expose their heart to you, okay? What the Pharisees want out of this is, is, is notoriety. They want, they want immortality through no, notoriety, just like their heroes, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and King David. They want to be like that. And so they want to be seen as, as these great spiritual leaders. And so they, they position themselves at a table where they can, they can see and be seen. And the lie that they're believing is that human recognition is proof of their value to God. That is the lie that the Pharisees are believing. Salvation does not come through recognition. And Jesus is going to expose that recognition is its own reward. Let's read this passage, verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And, they, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place. So when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this 
is like a twist in the dagger to the Pharisees because they are familiar with an Old Testament proverb that pretty much says the same thing, just a lot shorter. It's Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. It says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. The upside-down kingdom of heaven is one where God exalts the humble and lowers the proud. This is his personal work. Now, I warned you, this is not just about the context of a dinner table. We're supposed to take this truth and apply it into our lives. And so as, as church leadership, as, as I am a pastor of this church, any of you who are on the elder board, we've had visitors a lot. And our church is growing and our numbers are looking pretty good as far as attendance is concerned. And it's really easy to be puffed up and think we're doing something right. When who is the one who is going to bring any increase anywhere? It is him and him alone. We humbly say, Lord, you're doing something here. You're doing something in our church, and we're just glad to be along for the ride, <laughs> right? Like, praise the Lord. Like, glory to him and him alone. I, my children, I'm working really hard on the bragging, right? Like, I've got two boys who are pretty competitive, and even this morning, they were playing football in the living room, and I don't know how to... They, the end zone is the fireplace, and it's brick. And they keep getting hurt, not on the brick, but it's only a matter of time. And I just don't know how to, like, wrangle them. The point is, the point is, their pride just bubbles up so easily when they score. Right? Like, you've seen this with toddler, with young kids, and, and you know, we kind of know, like, as adults, like, eh, you know. But, but what about our hearts? Like, when you have a win over someone else, when you get the promotion over somebody else at work, what, where does your heart go? Right? Because the, the goal here is true, genuine humility. Not, not protesting the prominent seat by, while wanting to actually be there. Right? That's a, that's a false Humility. God is looking at our hearts. And, and he doesn't want us to look humble. He wants us to be humble. And when we have a true recognition of our sin, it removes pious attitude and holier-than-thou arrogance. And if you ask God to reveal your pride to you, he will because he accepts invitations. And he alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and adoration. And he destroys challenges to his authority, even your own pride in your own heart. So, the overview for this section Humbling the proud and exalting the humble is God's personal work. False humility is no humility at all, and pride is symptomatic of deeper sin always. 
We didn't really get into it because I, I could get stuck there for a while. But your heart is like an onion. Sometimes it stinks. Sometimes it can make you cry. But it has layers. And your pride is always one of the surface layers of the onion of your heart. When you ask God to come in and remove your pride, you might find that he exposes your anger, which is just one layer deeper. When you ask God to come in and expose your pride to yourself, he might show you your shame because you're holding on to the bad feelings in hopes that that will make you look holier to God than you are. That's pride. I want to look better to God, so I'm going to feel real bad about the stuff I've done. Jesus accepts our invitation to expose our pride. It may not always look as, as easy to see as my kids bragging about scoring a touchdown to their brother. But anywhere where you see yourself elevating yourself over someone else, gossip is a great example. It is exposing the pride and the sin of your own heart. But if you invite Jesus into that, he will destroy the challenge to his authority. Part three, the banquet. This is Jesus speaking. When he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and, be re and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let me tell you briefly what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying you're not allowed to have your friends over for dinner or your family over for dinner at Thanksgiving. He's also not saying there's a limit to the guest list. What Jesus is saying is that kingdom politics don't work like our social politics. Our social ethics can reflect our kingdom allegiances. And everyone is welcome in the kingdom, not just those who we feel can repay us. Recognition is its own reward. And invitations with the expectation of reciprocity reveal pride and not the humble generosity that Jesus showed us in the last passage. And of course, 
course, of course, eternal rewards are always better than temporal awards. The, the good things in this life will always pale in comparison to what is offered to us in eternity. So the best investment you can make is not in a Roth IRA or a 401k, but in the kingdom. Do we believe that? We can say that. It's, 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 that's cheap to say, but expensive to live, isn't it? <laughs> so let's recap. Jesus just pulled a bait and switch trap on the Pharisees that the Pharisees tried to bait and switch trap him. Jesus insulted the guests of this meal as they were being seated. And then Jesus just insulted the host for inviting his normal guest list. You notice that Jesus sent away the man with dropsy? That's the guy that the Pharisees should have invited in. Jesus sent him away to not be around those snakes. <laughs> this is my favorite part of this passage. One poor dude just feels so awkward. He's just so desperate. The social tension has just gotten to him. Jesus has done these just socially awkward stuff this whole time. And so he says the most basic thing that he thinks that everybody, including Jesus, can agree on. Okay? Verse 15. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's eat. Right? Like, that's what he was expecting. Like, let's... Get off this topic. This is so awkward. Jesus is insulting people. And what he means by this is, wow, aren't we so blessed to be the ones who are going to feast with God at the exclusion of everyone else? Let's listen to Jesus' response. Verse 16. I love that Jesus responds with a story. And this is where we will park and, and find the very end of the sermon for today. He said to them, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, Oh, I bought a field. I must go and see, and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. All right, before we go any further on the story, I think it's really important that we identify who's who in this story. Because it's really easy at first glance to read this as a story, but we are, it's a, Jesus is teaching us something. So we need to know who the characters are, right? Help me out. Who is, this is the easiest one, who's the host? Anybody? This is a group for, yes, God is the host of the banquet. What is the banquet? It's the, it's the same kingdom banquet that this Pharisee was trying to get everybody on board with, right? It is, it is the marriage of of the bride and the groom, the marriage of the lamb in Revelation. We'll read that at the very end. Absolutely beautiful passage if you're in the kingdom. 
But this is this banquet, the implication of this banquet, because Jesus is talking about the same banquet that this Pharisee just mentioned. And so it's not, when we think banquet, you think like high school prom or something, right? Like awkward sway dancing and punch bowl and, you know, that's not, that's not the same image that Jesus has in his mind or the Pharisees have in their mind. This is like ultimate form of satisfaction. The, the hunger, the, we don't really understand hunger, right? The ancient world understood hunger because there was a lot more work that they had to do in order to get food. And so when we pray over our meal, it's really, I think I'm thinking for food, yeah, let's eat. But when they prayed over the food, they recognized all of the stuff that had to happen in order for food to be in front of them. Because they had to do it every day, every meal. And if you didn't want to prepare a meal, you didn't eat. We don't want to prepare a meal, we get Taco Bell. It's way different. And so we, we have less gratitude for our food, I think, than, than the first century did. And so this hunger being satiated, a banquet that is abundant and more than everyone at the table can eat, is supposed to represent complete and total, eternal satisfaction. I want that. Now, it's important to understand how invitations work. What's the main point of the sermon? Jesus responds to invitations, right? Now, during this day, it was customary to send two invitations to a big feast, big party like this. You need to know who's coming so you don't so you prepare the right amount of food, right? And so what they would do is months, one month in advance or even multiple months in advance before the banquet happened, it was customary to send out one of your servants to go to all of the invited guests and make a list of everyone who is going to be invited. Then that servant was supposed to go back the day of the banquet and ask and invite them a second time. And to decline the second invitation was massively insulting to the host. And Jesus, the implication and what the Pharisees realized by what Jesus was saying in this story is that he is saying, you have accepted the first invitation and declined the second. The, the law, the prophets, everything that has happened in the Old Testament was the first invitation to the kingdom. And and. And the culmination of all of the Old Testament was a promise of a Messiah, the promise of a Savior. And the Messiah is here, and you've declined the invitation. Each of the busy guests has a pitiful excuse. The fields was a massive piece of property that was purchased style and scene. Implication is very unwise to buy a large piece of property and not know how big it is. <laughs> the second excuse was for oxen. It's 
roughly 20,000 pounds of livestock purchased without knowing their capability. And those two are to represent the love of stuff, material possessions and things. The newlywed is prioritizing their affections over God. It might just be that this person's new fiancé would really benefit from not having him constantly in her presence or being invited herself to the banquet with him as a plus one. Material possession and affection affection pretty much cover all of the excuses that people today have for rejecting God's invitation. Right? So let's, let's finish this passage. Verse 21, then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've, been, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. I like that the servant knew the master so well that he already did it. <laughs> and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. And my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of the men who are invited shall taste my banquet. We are the lame, the crippled, the ones in the ditch, in the side of the road, who have been offered the second invitation. Jesus offers us the kingdom with all of its benefits. Peace and friendship, and guidance, victory over self-control, rest, eternal life, heaven, joy, hope, salvation, and yet people turn their backs on this invitation, preferring a visit from their material possessions and their affections. Now, this is not saying that the physical things of this world or the love between a husband and a wife are worthless. We should care for our land. We should work our jobs with care, like a man plowing his field with oxen. And we should passionately love our spouses. But this story is revealing to us how we are to stack our priorities according to the kingdom Because the more that we are able to feast at the banquet with Christ, the better equipped we will be to tend to our field, to utilize our oxen, and to passionately love our spouses. What was the requirement to attend? What was the requirement for the lame and the crippled it's just to respond to the invitation there is no amount of good things we do there's no amount of checking the box of going to church this many times there's no amount of walking little old ladies across the street that add to our ability to get into the kingdom on our own it is only through the invitation that was signed Sealed and delivered by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. That's it. By faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, 
And one day soon, this banquet that we have imagined here today will be real. I hope to see you seated next to me. It cost Jesus everything to prepare it. Pain and tears, his very own life, so that we could respond. I want to I want you to I want to invite you to close your eyes as I read Revelations 19, 6 through 9. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is if if you are in the kingdom, if you have placed your faith in Jesus. And if you've recognized the fact that you can't do anything about the pride in your life on your own, if you know that there's no amount of good stuff that you can do to overwhelm the sin that's there, because that's true, there's no, if there's sin, that's a problem. And it's a problem that deserves punishment, eternal punishment. In hell, separated from God, if sin is present at all. The invitation is for his grace. The invitation is for that sin to be covered, not by us, but, by through, but through his power. And if you are in This is what the marriage supper of the Lamb looks like. This is John speaking, Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have a choice that we can feast with Christ or be eternally separated from him in our starvation. I am so thankful for his love, so thankful that he shepherds us. In in Psalm 23, we see another table that God prepares for us, and it is surrounded by our enemies. And God meets us there, and it is like the most peaceful scenario where he just sits down with us and bathes us in his love. The invitation is here. The invitation is now. I'm going to to sing a song for you. This is a song that my dad used to sing me as a lullaby. You'll probably recognize it. And it's a song about God's love. And then I would like to transition 
into singing how deep the Father's love for us all together. If God's doing something in your heart this morning, if God is speaking to you and calling you, and you want to respond to that invitation, I invite you to do so. It's not a requirement to walk an aisle. It's not a requirement to talk to the right person or say the right prayer. It is individually a conversation between you and God. And if you would like help with that, the altar is open. We have elders, pastors here who would love to talk with you. I invite you to listen to this first little bit and then stand and sing how deep the Father's love is. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I belong to Him. And He belongs to me. And one day soon I will see and you will see the light in his eyes Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong hallelujah How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin on his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his 
His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is Father, we praise you for the opportunity to be here together, assembled in your presence. The gospel has been sung, the gospel has been read, proclaimed, and prayed. And so, Father, we're gathered here as one body, made one in you, Jesus, by your sacrifice, and Father, by your great plan. So, Spirit, now knit us together as we anticipate this great kingdom meal that we will one day soon be enjoying together. With every saint that has come into your kingdom, every saint that has responded to your sovereign invitation from all time, from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So Father, may we live in constant anticipation of that great and glorious day. May the hope of that day be hope for today. May the joy of that day anchor us in the sorrows of today. And Father, may the anticip anticipation of that day fuel us to live for your kingdom, for your glory, each and every day of our lives. We praise you, Father. And in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.